Hey guys, this is Teddy Jenner, NOL insider and voice of the Colorado Mammoth, and you're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk. On Schreiber. Snyder whip, scores! Alex scores! Paul Rabel splits two and scores! Kylie O'Miller showing off those shifty skills. Kelly, not shy, bounces one home! What a start! Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk, the voice of Pro Lacrosse. I'm Hunton, he's Adam, together we're bringing you interviews with your favorite players and coaches, as well as news from all four professional lacrosse leagues. Today we have radio host, play-by-play broadcaster, and NLL insider Teddy Jenner joining us to break down the 2019 NLL draft. Teddy, welcome to the show. Guys, I appreciate you having me. Uh, let's have some fun. Absolutely. So before we get into uh, some draft talk, we wanted to talk about your background a little bit, Teddy. Uh, you're a native of Victoria uh, and a former pro player yourself. You spent a while with the Victoria Shamrocks and then uh, in the NLL for, for six seasons. So what was it like making the jump to the pros? And tell us what you enjoyed most about your time in the NLL. I think the, the biggest jump for me was uh, the commitment to being a professional lacrosse player. Obviously, being in college kind of helps you prepare to be an athlete, but there's no, nothing really like the mental strain of having to go to the gym every day and making sure you're on top of game film and making sure you're you know, ready for your next opponent and ready for practice. And in those first few years that I was in the league, I don't think that I really committed myself properly and I really just was enjoying being a pro athlete instead of committing myself to actually being a pro athlete. So uh, that kind of hurt me in my first few years. But once I kind of realized that I couldn't just rely anymore on my athletic ability, I actually had to be prepared. Once I really realized that, I think, the evolution of my game changed. And at the same time, I was also making a positional change. I was always sort of a a forward. But once I got into the NLL with Rochester, I had John Grant Jr., Kurt Malofsky, Sean Williams, and Dewey Jacobs of guys that were ahead of me. Mm -hmm. So I was never cracking that roster. So Mm -hmm. I had to evolve my game to become more of a transition player. And again, once I made that move, position-wise, and once I really understood what it meant to be a pro athlete, I think it really benefited my game. So I had a lot more success once I eventually got to Minnesota and then on to Edmonton, where I was in positions to really succeed and committed to the game. So the jump for me was a big learning experience because I was always just relying on what I knew I could do, and it wasn't enough at that time because junior to senior and then senior to pro is a massive, massive jump. And Mm -hmm. I think that's why now so many of the young kids are that are coming into our league are at such a better advantage because they've done four years of college and they're also playing a couple years in the Canadian summer league, whether it's the MSL or the WLA. So they're now already playing against men and playing against guys that are in that league because Mm -hmm. The majority of guys that are playing in those summer leagues are NLLers. So they're, they're more prepared and they understand what it takes now than sort of I was 15 years ago. Sure. You know, that's, that's great. Um, following your playing career, you, you got into broadcasting and you're currently the play-by-play announcer for the Shamrocks and then the Colorado Mammoth. Um, tell us a little bit more what led you down that career path. It was always 
the path that I wanted to go down at Mercyhurst College, which is now Mercyhurst University. I was a communications major there. I was calling basketball games. I was calling soccer and football games. Uh, I was the main play-by-play guy for, for the college hockey team my last couple of years there. And so I was already of the mindset to do that. But I was still playing lacrosse, so I couldn't really dive fully into broadcasting lacrosse games. And it wasn't until when I was playing for Rochester and Craig Grzynski was the Nighthawks play-by-play guy. He's, he's now still with the Nighthawks organization even after the move. But funny story, he was actually my teacher at Mercyhurst before he made the move to Rochester and before I got wow. drafted by the Nighthawks. So I had a nice connection already with Ripper. And Perfect. during a game we were in Ottawa, I was a healthy scratch. He knew I wanted to get into broadcasting, and he asked me, you know, what I like to do color with him. And I jumped at the opportunity, and that was the first ever game that I was an NLL game that I was a part of, and it was because I was a healthy scratch, but I did color with Craig Rozinski, who's probably one of the longest tenured guys doing it in our game and probably one of the best to ever do it. So that kind of started me and kick-started me, but again, I was still playing, so I couldn't fully delve myself into it, but it wasn't until 2009 when I had stopped playing uh, and I went back to radio school for a year just to kind of reintroduce myself to the new podcast things and started working at a sports radio station and started calling Coquitlam Junior Adnax games. And that was right around the time in 2010 where they won the Minto. Uh, mm-hmm. I was calling Man Cup games on the mainland. The 2009 Man Cup, I called it with Jake Elliott. And most of us all agree that that's probably one of the greatest Man Cups we've ever seen. And so that was really how it started. And then when I moved back to Victoria, the Shamrocks brought me on. And that's always kind of been a, a little dream of mine, to be able to call play-by-play for my hometown team, a, a, green, a mm-hmm. team that I grew up watching, a team that I played for, and now I get to call their games. And I've called Man Cup wins. I've called Man Cup losses. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a great ride. And then uh, I have to owe a lot to Steve Govett. He was the one that brought me down to Colorado. And since I've been with the Mammoth, it's kind of just been a, a whirlwind of back and forth travel, calling tons of games, meeting amazing people, and just having the time of my life doing something that I've always wanted to do. That's so awesome. So that kind of leads into our next question. Uh, you're a fellow podcaster and, and radio host with, with Off the Crossbar. Um, what was kind of your impetus to, to start that podcast and, and radio show, and where did the name come from? Uh, the name was kind of a derivative of a article that I used to write for Inside the Cross. It was okay. um, shooting from the hip. It was just kind of a, a little spin-off article oh, that yeah. I would write, and I was just kind of trying to find um, a name for the show at the time. And I was like, and I kept on hearing it's a phrase you hear all the time on the cross games, and it's a phrase that I say all the time. It's, There's sure. a shot. It's off the crossbar. <laughs> so it just kind of had a nice ring to it. It flowed really well. Um, you know, I can use the acronym of OTCB. It just kind of helped shorten it up. So that was kind of where the name came from. But the idea for the show was because there was not there was nothing out there at the time. Sure. And uh, this is around uh, 2010, 2009, 2010. I was working at TSN 1040, which is a sports radio station in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And I basically went up to, to the program director and, and I said, how do I get a show? Like, how do I get? one hour of airtime on one of the stations so that I can talk across. He goes, you just got to sell it. So um, I built the sales package. I went to the WLA. I went to the BC Junior League. I got them to buy sponsorships on the show. 
Um, and I sold my airtime and, and I got it on radio. And so for the first, for the next three, two and a half, three years, um, it was the only true radio show that was solely focused on lacrosse in all of Canada. And mm-hmm. so it was, it was a pretty big deal. Like I kind of, I don't want to say how it started, but you know, that was kind of a, a kickoff point for, for everybody else that's kind of been doing what we're doing. And there's so many yeah. great shows out there. And so, I had the radio show till about 2012 and then I was moving back to Victoria. That's when the Washington Stealth became the Vancouver Stealth. So they wanted to have a show. And when they came on, I was living in Victoria. It didn't make sense for me to do the show from Victoria while they were in Vancouver. So then Jake Elliott and Brad Challoner took it over uh, and they made it. It was at the time Stealth Classified. It's now become Lacrosse Classified. They're not on the radio anymore. They're strictly a a podcast now. So, We've kind of both had our times on the radio, and now we both just run our podcast. And so uh, I've kind of stepped away from radio, and now, yeah, it's just a podcast that, that's kind of evolutionized over the years. It's, it's sometimes really insightful with, with multiple guests. Other times we go uh, really in-depth with one guest, and I've been very grateful for everybody that's given me time to come on a show and, and talk to <laughs> There's been times when I'm sure you guys know that you do a recording all of a sudden you realize you didn't press the record button. So you got to call the person back and say, hey, man, I'm really sorry. We just talked for 45 minutes. Can we do it all again? So so there, there's been, been real tough moments. There's times where I've lost complete shows, even though I've had them and gone through all the pains of, of, of doing it and, you know, trying to figure out uh, the best equipment to use and best setups and, and how to continually keep your content fresh and, and engaging for the fans. So I've had an absolute blast doing it and uh, I look forward to, for, to doing more, but the best part is, is, is through that. Um, I've met so many other people that, that do lacrosse shows and, and guys that are starting their own podcasts and, and getting able to talk to them just like we're talking now um, yeah. just helps continue to grow the, the, the realm of our sport. And there are so many people that have so many great stories to tell it's great to have multiple avenues to get those stories out. You know, absolutely. I mean, we've really enjoyed uh, doing it in the short, you know, four months that we have. And um, it, it's nice to have, like, you know, forerunners like yourself to kind of, you know, go off of. And, um, and we appreciate you coming on because, you know, for us it's been exciting. We, you know, started out just kind of recapping, you know, the games. And then it kind of became, you know, having current players and former players on. And I think that's been more exciting for us because we get to talk to, you know, some of our idols and people we look to up to in the community. And then we get to tell their story, too. And it's less about us um, and more about them and, you know, growing the game. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's great what you, you've accomplished in your uh, career so far. And, um, you know, you were in Philly to help out hosting the NLL 2019 draft. I thought you did a great job with that, too, on BR Live. Um, you said you hadn't been to Philly in a while. Um, so how was it back being in that, you know, venue and in that atmosphere? And what did you think of the draft? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I was trying to think about when the last time I was there, and it, it probably would have been like 2008 when I was still playing in the league. So it, it had been quite some time, and I'd never seen Xfinity Live. I don't think I'd seen most of the new stadiums that, that were in there. But unfortunately, just because of when I got in and, and the requirements that we had of being on site and production meetings and, and talks mm-hmm. that we had, I didn't get to see a whole lot, and we were staying out by the airport, so it's not like we were right downtown, <laughs> which was unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But I had an incredible time, and I think we got to give a ton of props to, to Joel Feld and 
and, and Scott Zolotow, uh, the crew that they put together, um, and people that fans never saw watching the broadcast, all the behind-the-scenes crew, the cameraman, the staff, uh, the people at Xfinity Live that were taking amazing care of us, they did an absolutely phenomenal job. And I'm sure everybody that's listening to this and everybody that, that watched the draft saw a remarkable difference between the draft that we just did on BR Live and every other draft that we've done before for the National Cross League. And this was the first one that I've been a part of, but mm-hmm. it is night and day from production value and broadcast standpoint than we've ever done before. And mm-hmm. little things like, like the graphics and the, the sound effects when the, the pick was in and the rolling scroll bar of the drafts, all those little things we've never done before. And so sure. it just allowed the draft broadcast to be more to be fancy and in the lightest of terms, but puts us on the stage of a lot of the other big leagues that do real broadcast drafts. And I think our draft can, can tighten up in some areas. I I don't think we need six rounds. I don't think the, the extensions should be as long as they are because that first round took over an hour. And I know there were 17 picks and you get five minutes to draft, but like we can't have drafts that are five hours long. Like that's Mm -hmm. just, it's not fair to everybody. And, you know, even us broadcast, it's not fair to a lot of those kids sitting in the back waiting and, and hoping to hear their name. So there are some yeah. tweaks that we can make to the actual draft, but the, the production realm that we did and the broadcast that we produced um, and that those guys produced was next-level stuff. And I was so happy that I was asked to be a part of it and that I was a part of it. I had an incredible time. Um, obviously, the draft itself got off to a bit, of a bit of a shocking start with Tyson Gibson going number one overall. And, that kind of just steamrolled us into an incredible night of what ifs and what's going to happen in trades. And, and it was, it was a great night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, again, with the production value, I agree. Cause I'm actually in the broadcast industry, uh, in the, the TV. I thought it was, you know, a great product. I thought the setting of Xfinity live looked like a real, you know, draft environment. Um, and, you know, being in there in person, you know, I kind of got to see both ends of it, watching it on BR live and then being there in person and, yeah, I, I thought it was a, a great product, and I think what you said is important, you know, perception's everything, and to, you know, kind of give off the perception that this is a real professional league is important for gaining new fans, so, um, yeah, I agree with all your, your sentiments. Um, but, yeah, you, you mentioned a bit of the, some shocking start to the draft. We're going to get into that. Uh, first, we're going to take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsor, and then we'll, we'll dive into that. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Well, welcome back. Now it's time to talk about the NLO Draft. Uh, before we dive in, though, uh, I just want to talk about the actual draft itself and the experience. I attended the draft and uh, got to speak to the top three draft picks uh, in Tyson Gibson, Rylan Reese, and Andrew Q. I got to speak to each of them about you know their excitement for joining the NLL and what they, they thought going forward. So let's hear what they each had to say. 
first off, congratulations on you know being drafted one, number one overall. Uh, were you expecting to be drafted number one overall? And what are your feelings about going to New York? Yeah, I mean, I obviously didn't expect it. I didn't really come in with much expectations. You know, I know what I bring, and you know, I'm just happy that I'm able to bring my talents to New York. And I'm just looking forward to you know working hard and and doing what I can to help the team win. What excites you the most uh, about making the transition to uh, playing in the NLL? I mean, the NL is a dream. It's, uh, you know, I've been playing since I was three. My dad played, you know, as I was a kid, and it's something I've always wanted to do. So, you know, I'm extremely excited, and, and you know, I just can't wait to get the, get going there. All right, what do you think of the atmosphere here uh, at Xfinity Live for the draft? It's awesome. I mean, again, I didn't know what to expect, but, you know, there's lots of people to support. I got friends and family here, so, you know, with them there, you know, I couldn't expect anything else, and I'm just happy that they're here to support me, and, you know, I'm excited for everyone else getting drafted. I have a lot of friends in this draft, and, you know, seeing them going up there on stage has probably got me more excited than me getting up there. So, you know, I'm just happy we're all doing well. All right, so, Rylan, you were linked to the Rochester Nighthawks for a while, and you ended up going number two overall with them. Tell me about your excitement, uh, you know, jumping to the NLL, and uh, what do you expect uh, in your first season as an NLL player? I'm really excited to jump in with the new expansion team in Rochester. Um, you know, I got to know Dan Carey pretty well with Team Canada. Um, last summer, so it's nice to know a familiar face there, and you know, jumping in playing with players like Sean Evans. Um, you know, can't ask for much more than that. Um, excited for the experience, and just gonna go work as hard as I can. Awesome. And what do you think of this draft environment right now? What do you think of the experience so far? It's awesome. Um, you know, happy for the guys that have gone and uh, who are getting ready to go. And it's awesome experience. Uh, a lot of people are here, and excited that my family could be here with me. So it's good. So, uh, Andrew, congratulations first on being drafted. Uh, what are you excited the most about joining the Black Wolves this NLL season? I'm most excited about how deep the roster is and, and how, how good that um, I think that New England's going to be. Every year they just, they've been making a push and just haven't been able to get there. But um, I think they're really deep and uh, really excited to start New England. Awesome. And uh, so you just finished up, too, with, with the Bayhawks. Um, how is it going, you know, from the field uh, to the indoor league? You know, there's not too much of a gap in between, uh, just a couple months. Um, but are you excited to keep lacrosse going year-round, really, for yourself? Oh, absolutely. I, I love I love lacrosse. Can't get enough of it. Um, love playing it all, all year-round. And uh, I think, yeah, there's a bit of a transition, obviously. Less space and uh, different nets, different goalies, whatnot. But I think uh, that's what training camp's for, get, uh, you know, get back into the box rhythm. And um, excited, excited for camp. Awesome. And uh, what do you think of the Xfinity experience so far being here for the draft? How has that been so far? Yeah, it's, it's uh, definitely, you know, it's that once in a lifetime that night. And uh, it's, been, it's been really good. Great venue here. Um, yeah, definitely a great night so far. All right, so obviously they're they're all three of them are really excited, you know, for their first NLL season. And uh, Adam, I know you were excited about another interview that I actually got as well. Yeah, so being a, a native Philadelphian myself, I, I'm I'm a big uh, fan of the Wings. I was really excited when the league announced uh, that they'd be returning as an expansion franchise. Uh, so I was super excited when Hutton let me know that he was able to talk to 21st overall pick. Matt Mariner, um, who the Wings traded up in the draft uh, to get. So let's hear what he had to say. All right, well, first off, congratulations on drafted by the Wings. Um, you played for the Chiefs, and now you're making the jump to the NLL. What's your excitement at? Uh, there's no words to describe what, what's going through my head right now. I mean, I'm super excited to, uh, to get things going, and I, I hope to make a big impact and make a statement to the league. Awesome, and you're a multi-sport athlete playing hockey as well. Um, how do you yeah. think that's going to help you translate into the pro game? I mean, everything everything helps. Uh, keeps me active, keeps me busy. Uh, some things are relatable. Physicality is a big thing, and uh, I just hope 
to keep that going. Awesome. How do you think uh, the experience here at Xfinity Live has been? I mean, you're in Philadelphia where you got drafted, so that's got to be a cool experience, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, having fans coming up already, congratulating me, asking for pictures and autographs, there's, uh, there's no better feeling than that already. Yeah, talking to Matt was great. He was, you could tell, really excited. He had some family members there as well. They were just all really excited. So I think you got a good guy uh, in your 21st overall pick, Adam. Let's get with you, Teddy, again, and let's talk about this draft that you hosted. The biggest shot came early on, like you mentioned. The, you know, a lot of projections had the Riptide taking uh, Andrew Q and Gibson falling to the Black Wolves at three, particularly because his father, Daryl Gibson, uh, is an assistant with New England. Um, what are your thoughts on the Victoria Shamrock Tyson Gibson going first overall? I'm super excited for Tyson. Having to get a chance to watch him the last couple of years play with the Shamrocks, I've really been able to see him mature and grow as a lacrosse player and as a young man because he, he comes from a great background. Darryl is, is a wonderful father, but he was also a former national lacrosse leader. He understands what it's been through. And so, you know, Tyson's kind of been around the league for a while, even though he's never been in it because he was always with Daryl at games, at practices, traveling on the road. So we understand what it takes. And I think the biggest reason that they decided to go with Tyson instead of Andrew Q was because uh, Andrew hasn't had a lot of postseason success, and that's not on him. His Oakville Rock just haven't really been able to progress in the MSL playoffs because it's just a, a very deep league. Whereas Tyson's been able to play in a lot of big series out west with the Victoria Shamrocks. Obviously, getting the Man Cup really helped, but he continually gets better as the season goes on. You know, at the start of the year, he's really solid. Once you get late in the season, he's even better. When you get to the first round of playoffs, he was great. Uh, the series against Maple Ridge, he was unbelievable. When he got to the Man Cup, you know, he led. Victoria Shamrock in scoring. He was incredible. And I think that's really what New York liked most about him is that he's able to rise his game on the big stage. And there's not many stages bigger than playing in New York. So I think that was probably the deciding factor at the end of the day. It obviously kind of threw New England for a bit of a loop because Rochester, I believe, was always going to take Rylan Reese at number two. Mm -hmm. And so when... When New York traded Jordan Durston uh, to get an extra pick in that first round, they also got Miles Jones and they got Ryan Fournier. I thought that, and I think a lot of people thought that that naturally opened the door to take Q because they just traded away a lefty and the first lefty that they had got because they took him second overall in the expansion draft. So I think, again, that's another reason why this pick kind of shocked a lot of people because we all felt that New York needed another left-hander. So, that, again, that kind of threw a shock and everything, but I know New England's going to be real happy with Andrew Q because now they got Durston and Q, so they've really helped their left-hand side. No Adam to Riley O'Connor, who's a great young talent there who's been with them for a couple of years now. So, that you know, the first three kind of flip-flopped, but we always knew Riley Reese was going to go two. Um, Holden Garland to Saskatchewan is a great pick, and then a lot of those picks just kind of fell into place after the top three and four. Sure. And you kind of talked about um, kind of the overall draft. Were there any teams that kind of stuck out for you um, that had a really strong draft? And then were there any kind of that you're a little bit worried about going into the season after the other night? You know, I really like New York's draft overall. I kind of think they had the best one. Saskatchewan having three first-round picks obviously allowed them to be very successful. And Derek Keenan just continues to show his wizardry. 
um, when it comes to acquiring draft picks and high-end draft picks and still using a lot of the draft picks that he has to get guys back. Like, people may know, but Saskatchewan actually had four picks in that first round. They flipped one of them so that they could get Jeffrey Cornwell back through the expansion yep. draft. So, like, he's he accumulates all these picks because he knows expansion is coming. And so the more high-end picks you have, the more likely it is you're going to get guys back. So I think that really helped Derek Keenan in his drafting because he still kept the core of his team together even after the expansion draft and really added some great pieces. And, and truly, I don't think there were any teams that had an overall bad draft. You know, I, I don't think Halifax was one of the better drafts. Even Georgia, that had a slew of picks, didn't have the greatest of drafts. They traded a lot of their picks away as that night went along. But you look at a team like Vancouver, who had to wait until the fourth round to make their pick, and with yeah. their three picks, they get Derek Lloyd, Keegan Bell, and Gord Phillips. Now, I don't think Gord Phillips makes their team, but I think Keegan Bell and Derek Lloyd do, and I think they're two great acquisitions. And I think Keegan Bell's stock kind of dropped a little bit, but a lot of people still thought he'd be there in the second round. He, you know, or sorry, he'd be taken mm-hmm. in the second round. But for Vancouver to get him in the fifth round, that is an absolute steal for them. So I think they actually had a fairly decent draft, even though they only had three picks. Sure. Yeah, no, that that was going to kind of be my next question is, you know, who you thought that was the, the best steal. Um, but uh, let's talk a little bit, too, about there was quite a few surprises, particularly in the drafting of, you know, some traditional field players, uh, such as Loyola's Pat Spencer, who's, you know, taking a year to play basketball. Uh, Notre Dame's writer Garnsey. So while box lacrosse is obviously more popular in Canada, we currently have you know some American newcomers like Tom Schreiber and Matt Rambo who are thriving in the NLL. Uh, what do you make of more field players? You know, maybe making the jump to the NLL in the near future. I think it's it's a natural path for a lot of these guys, especially for guys that you know are wanting to play for Team USA at the World Indoors that are going on right now in Langley. I think mm-hmm. having as much indoor experience is going to help them improve their game and I mentioned this a ton of times on the draft broadcast that Americans are seeing what the Canadians bring to the field game and that's purely based off their box skills so they understand that if they want to improve their field game they got to learn the box game so I think there's gonna be a lot of guys that make that jump this probably wasn't the deepest of of drafts for Americans but I Mm -hmm. think and I mentioned it, I think, off the top of the broadcast, would a team take a flyer on Pat Spencer just for the opportunity to have him and if they can convince him? And I love the fact that they took him and are going to try and give him a shot. I love all the Americans that got drafted and names were called because it shows that they, they have some interest because I don't think these teams are going to draft those guys if they haven't said, yeah, I will commit and really try this indoor game because if they're just going to get a guy who eventually says, you know what, I'm not full. I don't want to play indoors, but I appreciate giving me the opportunity. I think I don't think they make that pick. So, the more Americans are in, are in college that want to play box is great. We have to give a huge shout out to the guys at US Box on what they're doing because they're starting these kids young in the box game, and by the mm-hmm. time they get to college, they're already going to be playing five, six, seven years of indoor lacrosse and mm-hmm. high level indoor lacrosse, coached by guys that are in the L and knows, know what it takes, whether they're Canadians or Americans. So we're, we're still seeing a lot of the Americans that are coming out with very little college experience. It's going to be in the next four years when we start to see a lot of those kids of American birth that have 
played box across, and that's only going to make the indoor talent that much better. And once we get to that point, the draft, we're going to have more teams in the league, so we're going to need more American players, and we're going to mm-hmm. get to a point where those American players already have box experience, so the learning curve isn't as steep. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, no. Um, and you kind of talked about um, the growth of, uh, of the, the league. What are your thoughts on um, kind of the next steps for the league? You know, there, there's whispers that there'll be a few new teams, potentially Dallas coming down the road. Um, what's your thought on the, the growth of the league and, and how big do you think the NLL can get in terms of size? For me, I, I am of the mind that I would like to see Nick Sikiewicz and the league put a freeze on expansion right now and let some of these teams really develop because I, I still think Georgia needs a lot of help in their fan base. They continue to struggle. Vancouver, when that team sort of starts to find some chemistry and becomes a winning team, I think they'll bounce back in their attendance. Yeah. Obviously, Halifax has a winning team coming in, but they're a new market, so that fan base is going to have to grow, and, and Rochester is already going to have a fan base, so they're okay. Yeah. And then, obviously, with, with Long Island. So I would like to see the league kind of stop where they're at right now sit on these 13 teams and let some of the, the, the newer teams and the, and the weaker teams kind of grow and then let that player pool develop, let the new blood come in. That way we kind of don't have to expand the draft. We can kind of narrow it a little bit. And then maybe in two years come 2022, then we can start to add, you know, some teams to start to balance it out, get some more West Coast teams, um, get some teams in the, in the central time zone. You know, I'm still – and I mentioned this to a couple people in the draft, but I would love to see him go back to Minnesota. I'd love to mm-hmm. see him to go back to Edmonton. Um, you'd create some natural rivalries. There's obviously fan bases in those two markets. I've heard Dallas mentioned as well. Um, that's a very interesting proposition because the, the NLL, it's kind of like the National Hockey League. Um, oftentimes, Southern teams don't really do so well whether yeah. it's just the, the fans or, or just the, the not-so-much-lacrosse owners. There's a pretty good lacrosse base in Dallas. So, and obviously, they love their stars down there, so it might be yeah. a pretty good connection. Um, I like the idea of going to Nashville. Um, I think that would be an incredible market. I, you know, as much as um, the league probably doesn't want to move a team, there's, there's a lot of people who like to see Georgia move to Nashville. They kind of already mm-hmm. have the same color scheme like the Predators. So sure. I think where we're going for expansion is good. I, I think this, this league, I really do think this league can, can get to maybe, you know, 20 teams um, in the next few years. And I think that's a good start. I, I, just, I just don't want to see us grow too big too soon because the NLL did that a while back when we were in Columbus and Arizona, and Anaheim, and Ottawa, and Montreal. Mm-hmm. And we, we got too big too soon. And when we got too big too soon, the player pool wasn't big enough. And I think the production value of the game kind of dropped. And, and we were playing in, in NHL arenas with, you know, two, three to 5,000 people in some of these markets, and it just wasn't working. And that's because we went too big too soon. And sure. that's my fear. I know, I know uh, Nick, and, and his people want to continue to grow this league, and he has grandiose visions. I just am worried that if we go too big too soon, it's going to be detrimental. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, baby steps with everything. You know, you kind of saw that uh, back in 2008 with the MLL, uh, too. You know, they, I think they went up to 10 teams and ended up reducing it down to, like, six again. And, you know, they've kind of never really been able to get back there. Um, obviously, you had the recession, too, that didn't help. But, yeah, no, I, I think that's a... 
uh, definitely a valid uh, point to make um, with, you know, where this league is growing. Um, you know, I personally would love to see a D.C. team at some point. I think Ted Leonsis, who owns the Capitals and owns that arena, would be a great owner uh, if they ever decide to go there. I don't know if there's enough interest, um, you know, in the fan base, because I know being a D.C. fan myself, it, the fan base can be a little wishy-washy, but um, that's some personal goals of mine. <laughs> well, they had they had the Washington Power there um, a while back. And, mm-hmm. You know, they... They were playing at, I think, Continental Airlines Arena, and, and they had. I, w- I remember going to a game there when my brother was playing. I was playing for Rochester. They were having a game. Um, he was playing for Washington. They just had no fans, and it was just mm-hmm. really unfortunate that you know it was the best move for them to move from Washington to, to Colorado because we all know what the Mammoths became. But you mm-hmm. know, I think that would be a, a great market maybe later on because obviously then you just grow your natural rivalries with Philly and with. Uh, New York right away, like that's that's a great spot to be. But I think there's probably other markets they go to before DC becomes one of the tops on the list. Yep, yep. Well, that makes, makes sense. sense. I will say some of those logos though from the from those uh, prior expansion squads like the Storm and and uh, Express were were pretty wild looking for for their times. And and then what a the Smash the Syracuse Smash logo was one of my <laughs> favorites. <laughs> Yeah, I think my brother still has one of his Syracuse Masters. He's, I love okay. the Montreal Express logo. That yep. was probably one of my favorites. I was I always liked the Pittsburgh Bulls logo. Um, sure. Even the the Pittsburgh Crossfire, another reincarnation. I really like theirs. Um, yeah, there's been some some pretty good uniforms. The Arizona Sting had a sweet yep. sweet uniform with the Scorpions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then there's been some other kind of lackluster ones. But you know, there's there's you know every team that comes in is always going to get scrutinize or praise for what they do because you're never going to please everybody with your name or with your colors and with your logos. Yeah. But it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, when we go to these different markets, what they do come back um, with their names. You know, you look at uh, the Riptide. I was actually talking with um, one of the people from their executive staff at the draft, and we were just talking about the logo. And I said, I really like the colors and the, and, and the logo. And we talked about how it came about. And, and I asked him, did you ever think about going back to the Saints? And he said there was uh, there was a bit of us that that kind of thought maybe for a minute, but once we started talking to, especially some of the old players that were part of those Saints teams, they're like, mm-hmm. we were brutal, and we were not very good for a long time, and we left. Like we don't want to be reminded of what that was. It was a great sure. era back then, but it's not what we should be bringing back now. Yeah, you can definitely see their uh, Islanders influence in their jerseys. I think they're they're pretty cool. Um, you know, playing in Nassau Coliseum, it makes sense. Let's go to another quick break, um, and then we'll do our 5-5 five and five segment with you, Teddy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's show is being brought to you in part by Stitcher Premium. You can use Stitcher Premium to listen to shows ad-free such as Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Wolverine the Lost Trail, or our favorite, The Fantasy Footballers. For only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year, you get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, and comedy albums. Better yet, if you go over to stitcher.com premium and use the promo code lacrosse today, you can get one month free. 
So head on over to Stitcher, sign up, and get your free trial today. All right, so we're back. Um, so now we're going to go into our five and five segment. Uh, so Adam, why don't you ask the lacrosse-related questions, then I'll ask the life-related questions. So go ahead, and Adam, take it away. This first one may be a, may be a tough one to answer just because you, you've had so many awesome guests. But uh, anyone stick out in your mind uh, for OTCB uh, as your favorite person you've interviewed thus far? I, even just most recently, uh, Jessica Berman, who the National Lacrosse League brought on to be Deputy Commissioner and EVP of Business Affairs, um, was fantastic because just her background with the NHL and all the things yeah. that she's done um, was just really enlightening to hear and, and really refreshing to understand what she's going to bring to the National Lacrosse League. But in, in past, Dan Dawson's probably one of my favorite guys to interview just because he's so calm and yet so authentic in his answers. He really understands um, what it means to be a professional in all aspects of life. I, I could talk all day long to him. Uh, the late Chris Hall, who was a guy that was a mentor of mine, is a Victoria guy. He's one at every level. He's another one of those guys that could just talk every aspect of the game, and you're enthralled with what he says. Biggest part of it all, guys, is, and I'm sure you've, you've known this, is that there are so many great stories that are out there and, and that we get to share and we get to have these people tell that they're willing to tell them. And mm -hmm. they may be shy at first, and some guys really, you know, aren't the greatest of interviews, but once you can break them out of their shell and get them to relax and get them to talk about themselves and their stories, it's just incredible how willing these guys are to share those stories and come on the air with us. I enjoyed uh, Jessica's your interview with Jessica too, because um, you know I thought it was interesting, giving her background in the NHL and uh, seeing her come over um, to the NLL and making that jump. But uh, yeah, go ahead, Adam, with the rest of them. Let, let, let's hope she can get her uh, younger son to to get in the league. I know he's, he's yeah yeah right. But um, uh, kind of going off of that, um, what's your favorite uh, lacrosse memory memory as as a player during your playing career? You know, I can go back and, and think of the two-man cups that I won, but yep. which were great. But maybe the, the best one for me was the 1997. I was on Team BC, and we won the Nationals. It was um, right before I was going down to Mercer, so it was sort of the last thing, last provincial sort of national team tournament that I could play in. Um, and I got to play with a bunch of guys that I grew up in. Uh, I scored the game winner in overtime. I was named all tournament MVP and midfielder. It was it was just a, a really special moment and, and a great moment for me because it was kind of the last of my youth lacrosse and minor lacrosse. So it was a good send off for me. That's awesome. And kind of all, along those same lines, have any favorite memories uh, as a journalist or broadcaster? Uh, I oh, man, I I can't not. <laughs> say the the NLL finals from this past sure. year like yep. uh, being able to call that game too with, with Brad Chowner a guy I've known for a long time and to see a Victoria guy Reese Dutch score the winner it w was an incredible moment uh calling a man cup in Victoria in 2015 where they won was a really special one um but when you go back and, and you look at that 2009 man cup between the New Westminster Sandbellers and Brampton Excelsiors, where Brampton won every game in overtime, and it yeah. went seven games. There was a bench-clearing brawl in game one. New West should have won it in game seven, but they turned the ball over in the last 10 seconds of the game and got scored on to send it to overtime. It was just an incredible back-and-forth series and one I will never, ever forget. That's fantastic. 
Um, and then kind of uh, based off of that and, and, and talking, we, we talked a lot about the, the growth uh, of the box game. And uh, what do you think one thing, uh, maybe it's at the NLL or, or, or kind of the, on the international level, what's one thing that the box can, uh, game can do uh, to continue to grow um, as it has? What, what's one thing maybe holding it back or one thing that they could do uh, to kind of explode the growth? Yeah, I think the one thing that's really holding all of box across back is the number of rules that we have and, and not 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 just in general terms of actuals but from the nll rules to the canadian senior league to the canadian junior league to the american the arena lacrosse league um we have so many different rule books that it's really hard for fans to cross their views of games because you could watch yeah. uh, a national lacrosse league game and the players are playing on one set of rules. Then you'll go watch um, a man cup game and the guys will be playing a different set of rules and then a Minto cup game. And there's different rules there. So it's really hard for fans to adjust to the different rules because something's legal in one league and not in another. And for refs, it's difficult for broadcasters, for players, for everybody. So I think there needs to be one general set of rules. And, and I like the, the, the generalities of the national lacrosse league rules. I think it's kind of the best set of guidelines that our and our sport should be played under. So if everybody could make the adjustment and switch to those set of rules, much like the U S box is doing, they've adjusted and, and adapted the NOL rule style. So all those kids are playing. Mm-hmm. I think we need to do that here north of the border too, because that's really starting to affect our kids as they move forward, because as players progress, they go from junior to senior, and again, they kind of have to adjust their game due to the sure. rules. So that's the one thing that's really holding all of us back. Interesting. Um, and then kind of a, a fun one to, to end the lacrosse questions. Anyone um, in the lacrosse community in particular uh, that you've admired or, or looked up to over either your, your playing career or time as a, as a broadcaster? Yeah, it is. You know, I, I've had, you know, being a Victoria guy, I was lucky enough to grow up watching Paul and Gary Gates, you know, when before they really blew up. And then once they kind of hit the scene in, in the United States um, and then, you know, they were legends um, mm-hmm. and they were, they were my idols along with my brother growing up. Uh, obviously John Grant Jr. was a guy that, you know, I was never going to be him, but I always kind of modeled myself after him. And I got to play with him uh, in Rochester for two years. I like the professionalism of a guy like Jim Veltman and John Tavares, two guys um, that I really respect. And I, I, I don't know there, there's one particular guy, but I, I just respect all the guys that have come before me because they've helped pave the way. And, and you look at the list of the greats in our league, it's just um, a who's who uh, of unbelievable people and not just the cross players. Yeah, no, that's a, a great point. Um, well, now let's segue into the life-related questions. So these are going to be non-lacrosse related, but um, the first one I'll start off is, what is your favorite thing to do in Victoria when you're not covering lacrosse? That's an easy one, golf, and I can do it all year round, so I know everybody's jealous. Um, <laughs> it's just a, it, it's a great way to, to, to get away from everything, get out with your buddies. Uh, you spend a few hours just going for a walk out in nature. It's real calming. It's real peaceful, even when – you're terrible at golf. You can be having a fun time. So uh, that's usually what keeps me busiest. Awesome. Uh, and then correct me if I'm wrong, but you're a yogi. So what is your favorite yoga exercise? 
Uh, I love crow pose. It's basically just uh, a teddy bear stand without your head on the ground. It's just mm-hmm. uh, it's one that kind of works your forearms and your core and, and your upper body, but at the same time you're you're working your legs. It's just uh, it's it's a odd one to say, but it's just one that I find myself doing quite often. Uh, now, what's a book on your bookshelf that you've read or are reading right now that you'd recommend to a teammate or a friend or a colleague? Just as you say that, I, I look back and look at my bookshelf. I'm trying to see. <laughs> um, Invictus, uh, the the story of the South African rugby team during uh, yeah. Nelson Mandela's release and, and everything that was going on uh, around him. Obviously, they made the movie with Matt Damon. It was in it, but the the book is just really incredible because it just goes to show uh, the life of Nelson Mandela and how much he meant to the country of South Africa and, and how much how much his development as a person, everything that he got gone and went through really helped shape the culture of South America or South Africa and really showed the world how we can come together. That's great. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I've seen the movie. I'll have to definitely check out the book though. Um, uh, so number four, what is your favorite meal and do you prefer to, do you prefer to uh, dine out, uh, take out or cook at home? If I have the food, I will cook. If I've just come back from a long travel day, I'm definitely ordering in. Um, I, lo- I love making stir fry. It's, it's quick and easy. It, it always you know, allows me to, to use things that have been in my fridge for a while and I can be creative with it and you can you can make it a, a veggie meal or you can put steak or chicken or shrimp whatever and obviously you know on the west coast we got some great fresh seafood so uh stir fry is probably my favorite awesome all right number five uh what is a stereotype that americans have of canadians that you can't stand or that you just want to put to bed right now we all have accents i think mm-hmm. and maybe that's just because i don't think i have one but mm-hmm. you know the the out and about and the a's and, and all that stuff that you know, it's funny because when when I think about it, as you go kind of like, you know, the United States, as you go east to west, accents become a little more stronger and a little more pre- prevalent. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't feel us West Coasters have the accent, but as you go kind of more east, you go through the prairies, you get to Ontario and all the way out to the Maritimes, there definitely are accents, but I don't think we all have it. We all don't say out in the booth. <laughs> all right. That's definitely, uh, that's one I thought on my mind. I was like, that must annoy Canadians to death about that. And, you know, I mean, I guess for us it could be, you know, something else that, you know, we, we usually get mistaken for. But, yeah, I, I feel like that's one that in the U.S. that everyone thinks Canadians talk that way and um, and they tend to, like, tend to emphasize it more or whatever when they're trying to use yeah. the yeah. accent. Like, like, like yeah. I say the word A, and I'll throw it in text. I'll throw it in general conversation. Uh, I'll It'll be in the middle of a question. It's just, it's just a superlative word that, kind of comes out naturally for us but mm-hmm. the 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 actual accent thing is not true all right well that wraps up our five and five teddy thank you so much for joining us um we really appreciate it you know it's nice talking to a guy who's been in the industry for so long and you know me and adam adam's been more into the nll game than i have in recent years um but we're you know we're, we're excited to start covering it uh for this podcast and you know we really look up to you on um, what you've done for the game so far but uh where can people find you online and on social media uh, on social media, Twitter, I'm off the crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. It's a lacrosse pun. Obviously, uh, OTC Bot Podcast is on SoundCloud. You can also find it uh, on the lacrosse flash. That's where all my, my podcasts go to. So uh, I'm always 
up for conversations, love chatting with, with fans and, and with players and with fellow podcasters and anybody that, that wants to start a podcast and has questions, I'm always down for a talk. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Teddy. Uh, listeners, definitely check out his Off the Crossbar podcast. He's got some really great content up there. Um, you know, and if you're really interested in getting into the NLL game, he's a great resource. Um, so thank you again, Teddy, for joining us, and uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk.